0: If we are eating foods with these thickeners and these colorants, these dyes, these stabilizers and processed ingredients, the gut is just not going to be able to function. But that basis of inflammation in the gut, which is also called dysbiosis, is one of the reasons you see an uptick of conditions like anxiety.
1: Welcome, Dr. Uma Naidu. How are you? I'm
0: great, uh, Valeria. How are you?
1: I am so good, thank you. Um, I read your book, "Calm Your Mind with Food," and I was so fascinated and blown away by the by the amount of detail. Uh, that you provided, the information that you provided in this book, and the connection of food and nutrition to mental health, I think that a lot of us know that there's some kind of a connection, but once you really understand which is what your book provided, you are really blown away by how much we can help ourselves. Uh, which is why I was very excited to chat with you. Um, but first I, I really wanted yeah. to mention some of your <laughs> credentials because I truly think that you are so unique and so um really pushing the envelope when it comes to nutrition. So you are a Harvard trained psychiatrist, professional chef, graduating with Culinary School's most coveted award, and trained nutrition specialist. You also founded and directed the first hospital-based nutritional psychiatry service in the United States. Wow. Well, thank you, Valeria. And thank you for
0: appreciating my book. That's the best feedback any author can get, that it made sense. And, you know, when you're writing it, you're all in your head. So I appreciate that so much.
1: Yes, and I, of course I'm very happy to hear that. And you know, for me, I've never heard the term nutritional psychiatry. So, can you explain to me what nutritional psychiatry mean?
0: Nutritional psychiatry is the use of healthy whole foods and nutrients to improve your mental well being, and it can work alongside counselling, psychotherapy, or even if you're taking medications. It's really meant to be a holistic. An integrated approach to mental health that offers you an additional tool in your toolkit. And is this something that
1: is becoming more recognized
0: in the medical system? You know, it's slowly emerging and moving forward. It's a new field. I can't say that all mental health professionals are practicing this way, but I'm doing my level best to try to change that. Um, But no, it's not yet mainstream, but there are a lot of faction of doctors working in lifestyle medicine, um, in lifestyle psychiatry, and people like myself in nutritional and metabolic psychiatry that are trying to change that conversation because we feel like one of the most important pillars in lifestyle is nutrition, just as it is sleep, exercise, mindfulness, hydration, and all of those things. But nutrition is very basic, and it impacts so many different diseases.
1: Why do you feel it's harder to push this to be part of the main focuses when it comes to medicine? Because I think that what I'm trying to say is I remember going to the doctor, and it always shocked me how little knowledge or information they were giving me about nutrition, because that's not something they got uh, practice (laughs) or (laughs) education, right. So I, I wonder what is this disconnect that, why is the medical system doesn't really bring that forward and make it a thing
0: that is just another aspect of their studies? I think you make an excellent point, Valeria, and it's something I've thought about quite a lot. You know, there isn't, um, in this country, we practice defensive medicine. So you go in with an illness, a pain, a cough, and you see a doctor and you get treatment. We don't, we're not really spending enough time on prevention or simply living our lives in a way that we never end up with certain conditions. Some of this is related to the fact. As you pointed out, doctors really are not studying nutrition. Only about 20% of our medical schools have you know, have enough nutrition teach, being taught to doctors. So doctors don't have the information. But then, you know, we're also in a medical system where pharmaceutical companies and pharmaceuticals are used immensely. Now, let me be completely clear and transparent. Medications have saved the lives of many of my patients, but it is not the only option. And I just feel like we need to open up more options for more people. But what we're dealing with is that pharmaceutical companies are very powerful. And insurance companies, in the way that the system is set up, is if I have a hospital visit, I use my insurance, and the doctor can build at a different level if the doctor is prescribing a psychiatric medication for me. So it's sort of all the system that it's going to be very hard to change. I very strongly believe the things that we can change are ourselves. So by empowering ourselves with information, like I wrote in my book, it's it's giving, the, giving a person the information that they can act on on their own. They can always see their doctor as well, but they don't have to be reliant on that system. I think that was
1: one of the things um, that pushed me, to go and study holistic nutrition. When I was pregnant with my first child, mm-hmm. I've just realized that I know so little about what I can provide for myself, for my growing baby. And mm-hmm. there weren't any answers I could find from the doctors that I was seeing. So I went and um, and learned which what I consider to be the most basic information, right? About what nourishes, my brain and my body. And I just remember when I finished that program, I felt so much more equipped to help my family and myself. Um, and I just wished that this is something that was truly taught in schools, like to kids, yes. right? To teenagers, to, yes. it's very basic information. How did you find yourself in this, in this field of work? I think it's really stems
0: from my childhood. I grew up in a family that loved food, but also healthy eating. A lot of scientists, doctors, and a few Ayurvedic practitioners. So there's always a conversation about spices being healing, always a conversation about science, but also eating healthy and delicious food. And at the same time, I was obviously influenced by this, but when I found that Eating in medical school was, you know, you, you never eat healthily in medical school. Uh, it, it's, it's unfortunate. Most, most students don't. I, I think it's better now. But in residency, I found that we were learning and being taught to prescribe these really strong medications, psychopharmacolo- uh, psychopharmacology, but no one was talking about why have a conversation with the patient about what are you doing about your weight? Are you exercising? We were checking off. Things in the medical record, like what is the weight or this this factor or that factor, but we weren't having a conversation. And very early on, a patient was very angry with me when I was a very junior doctor, thinking that I caused him to gain weight from medication. And I knew from the data in front of me that it wasn't me. He had come in overweight and he now had read the side effect and thought it was the medication. But he also had this massive cup of coffee in his hand. In Boston, everyone loves Dunkin' Donuts coffee. It was a 20-ounce size. And um, I said, you know, what did you put in your coffee today? And it ended up you had placed eight teaspoons of sugar and a quarter cup of ultra-processed you know, creamer that you know and I know does not have great ingredients in it. And I'm not a big calorie counter, but I use that example just to say, well, let's look at how many calories you consume. And he was so shocked because he realized the amount of sugar that was in there, the amount of processed ingredients, that even before he'd eaten breakfast, he was consuming all of these calories. And his eyes lit up and it was like an aha moment for him. But I have to tell you, it was an aha moment for me realizing that if you can teach someone a simple bit of information, it can change what they want to do. And he went on to work with me to make healthy tweaks to his eating, his food, to exercise more. And although he continued medication, he didn't need a higher dose. You know, he started, stayed on a very low dose. So it taught me the power of really being able to influence that. And at the same time, the science of the microbiome was coming forward and all of this information was burgeoning. So putting these things together, I really started to understand that food was impacting mood and that how we eat was going to make a very powerful was having a very powerful effect and um, so it came together in that way and then i was you know offered the chance to start my own clinic at mass general and that led to being able to see more patients and really do more work and more research
1: it's amazing the ability because I, I, I don't think a lot of people do that, uh, especially in your position or someone that you know studies to uh, in the medical field, to kind of go back to basics. I feel like what we do a lot is we're trying to make the solution like an innovative approach to solution. You know, it's more yeah, innovation yeah. and more complexity and more medicine. Um, and the ability for you to just step back and just be like, let's talk about the actual, the base of it all. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that is something that um, is very unique. And going back to just what we all see that's happening on the global scale when it comes to anxiety, when it comes to um, panic attacks, there's a lot of, it's an epidemic um, and it's so prevalent now. From your years of doing this, do you feel like it changed? Is it become, there's more of it or do we just, are people talk about it more than before?
0: Yeah, that's such an excellent question because I think that to some extent, for example, COVID really i almost uncovered this mental health crisis, but I also think that um, some data points during COVID, take anxiety, for example, and the reason that I wrote uh, this book, Calm Your Mind with Food, is in about spring of 2020, the entire United States had a shortage of a medication called Zoloft, which is called Sertunine. Um, is the generic name, and it's, it's in selective serotonin reuptake inhibitor used commonly for depression and anxiety. I mean, we were getting warnings from pharmacy. There were so many new prescriptions where that people needed, so people who hadn't had anxiety before were getting new prescriptions that we ran out. Following along that, some CDC data showed that they, at a certain point in time during the pandemic, about 11% of Americans were seriously thinking about suicide, which is a massive number and very scary. So people were just not doing well. Research has now shown beyond the pandemic that about, there's about a 25% increase in the amount of anxiety and the diagnosis wow. of anxiety. So I think that I do agree that we are having more of an open conversation now. More people are talking about mental health, we are trying to work on destigmatizing that conversation, but I also think that there were factors in the last few years which really increased the certain conditions, especially anxiety, but increased things and um, have impacted everyone in the world.
1: How do you see it manifesting? And specifically talking of anxiety, um, how does you see it
0: manifest in the body and in the mind? What tends to happen in the body is people have, they, for example, they wake up with a feeling of uh, a knot in their stomach. They're just so anxious they can't get out of bed, or they're so nervous or worried about the day that they can't get their day started, or they have a high pulse rate and they feel tremulous. They uh, may wake up with a headache. They may have sweaty palms. A lot of, a lot of symptoms that you, know, you can experience in your body they may not be sleeping well. They may be just realizing that they're worried, but they don't even realize they're worried. They just feel like maybe they're not sleeping well. And so so much of this, um, you know, can be not only felt in the body. The issue is that, you know, sometimes people don't realize that they need help or they need to make a change to what's happening. And of course, we know from the science and what I unpack in the book that, you know, there are different different factors behind it. One of them I talk about is inflammation in the body that could lead to inflammation in the gut, leads to inflammation in the brain and vice versa. So there's all of these mechanisms behind it that we think are what kind of drives these conditions as the science emerges. I think it's a very, very scary feeling to live with and um, something that, we we want to help ourselves with
1: i think i you know i wanted for you to specifically list the feeling or how it manifests itself because i think that Mm -hmm. because we live at a time where all of us are so anxious I'm also worried about becoming desensitized to it, right? Because at some point when we feel it all the time, at some point we're going to start being like, oh, it's nothing. And I mean, I know a lot of people that do that a lot, right? They kind of gaslight their own experience. So they're like, oh, this is just nothing until something much bigger happens. Um, And we continue to fuel these imbalances with the way we uh, speak about it, uh, the way we don't attend to it and to Mm -hmm. your, you know, with your education, your book, the way we feed our bodies, we continue to Mm -hmm. feed into this anxiety um, and this state of inflammation uh, to your point. And to me, it really, I really had to come to a point of learning to connect to my body in such a deep way where I can feel when something is wrong, even when Mm -hmm. I don't have necessarily, you know, the answer to what is, what is it that is wrong, right? A lot of us, there's so much of this baggage that we carry that we haven't really uh, realized yet. So that ability to learn how to listen to our body, I feel like is the first step in gaining the 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 knowledge and the tools to heal ourselves would you agree i completely agree i so well said i appreciate it and we're talking you mentioned the um you mentioned the gut and brain connection which is something that i actually spent a lot of time learning during my training with nutrition uh the gut in general i wasn't paying attention to it. It wasn't something that I putting a lot of, um, a lot of thought into. Uh, can you explain how does gut health impact anxiety, specifically?
0: You know, the gut and brain are connected. They originate from the exact same cells in the human body. Um, and then they divide up to form two different organs, so the gut and the brain, which are not close by in the body, but they are connected anatomically physiologically and biochemically by the tenth cranial nerve which is the vagus nerve but then you have to think well what does the vagus nerve do it acts really like a two-way text messaging system between these two organ systems allowing for chemical messages to be transmitted all the time all day all night and these are very powerful messages because they are also ways that the messages are, you know, things like serotonin um, and other neurotransmitters. So we also then realize that about 90 to 95% of serotonin is made in the gut and the receptors are there. It's also made in the brain and it also needs to be converted in the brain and there needs to be a transfer mechanism. The gut microbes are involved in that. But when we are, say, for example, we are eating a fast foods diet and we are waking up anxious, waking up worried. Maybe we're working too many hours. And the only thing we can do at the end of a long night is stop and get fast food because you're hungry and you're going to go home to sleep. And that becomes sort of our diet. Let's take that as an example. Over time, the gut microbes and and, and our gut is going to become inflamed because the breakdown products of those foods are not healthy for our body. Um, A study was done on animals um, testing a thickener that's used in food called carboxymethylcellulose. And what it showed was that in the microbiome, they were unable to make the positive substances short-chain fatty acids. So what they taught us um, is that you know? if we are eating foods with these thickeners and these colorants and these dyes and these stabilizers and processed ingredients, probably what is happening is that the gut is just not going to be able to function and form healthy substances. When you get more toxic byproducts of food, they start to damage the cell lining in the gut. You get get set up for leaky gut and other things. But that basis of inflammation in the gut, which is also called dysbiosis, is one of the reasons you see an uptick of conditions like anxiety, because internally, our gut microbiome is disrupted. Wow. I was
1: just listing all the things that I've had this week to make sure that I'm not (laughs) continuing to damage my gut. (laughs) <laughs> would you, what would you say if a client, a patient comes to you and you you want to get them started on paying attention to bringing in gut-friendly foods, dietary changes uh, that can positively affect uh, their mental health and their gut health, what would those be?
0: So the first and foremost, I will often ask them if there's any habit that they're engaging in, either eating something or drinking something that they sense is not healthy for them, but they're still doing it. Because that having that awareness is very powerful. I can then leverage that awareness to help them change that one habit. But then I also look at what they're eating, understand what they enjoy eating, and start to design a nutritional psychiatry plate for them based on history, and other parts of the evaluation that occur. As I do part of this, the foods I want them to lean into, uh, let's name a few of them, Uh, those colorful vegetables, the different colors, the plant polyphenols, the fiber are what they need. I want them to use spices. Spices are very powerful anti-inflammatory and antioxidant properties and that can flavor their food, but also bring positive impacts for both anxiety and for things like inflammation. And then another category of food I want them to pay attention to are fermented foods. Because fermented foods bring back live active cultures. They help to reduce inflammation, and research has shown that. So, you know, starting off, I want them to think about just incorporating these foods. But from there, we build out a full plate of the different food groups that they need to be including um, so that they, you know, it, it's, it's uh, nutritional psychiatry, in my opinion, is all about how much we can add in than how much we can take out. Because people want to feel that they are not losing foods that they might enjoy or eat. We just want them to understand that they're healthier versions they can be consuming. And you
1: mentioned in your book, uh, Calm Your Mind With Food, you have six pillars for calming your mind. Uh, can you please list those?
0: Yes, of course. Um, so one of them is actually something that I've already touched on, which is, um, you know, wanting to make sure that the person identifies something that they shouldn't be eating, right? And that becomes really crit- critical because, We know that once they've identified that, they are going to be able to help us understand or help themselves understand how they can be sort of cleaning up and improving their diet. Another pillar is eat whole to be whole. So what I mean by this is rather than drink store-bought orange juice, which has all the fiber removed and added sugar, why not just eat the orange? So eat the orange and skip the store-bought oranges. But that's the concept of eat whole, be whole. Another pillar is what I designed and tested for this book called The Calming Kaleidoscope Plate. And what that means is You know, people often talk about the colors of the rainbow and and many of my patients kind of roll their eyes and they're like, well, everyone says this, but I don't really know what it means. But a common kaleidoscope plate is about bringing in those plant foods, the right types of fruit that have these rich plant polyphenols that can nurture our gut, nurture our brain, and also why these colors are so important to just our overall health, but helping our anxiety. Um, And then I designed a salad called the kaleidoscope salad, which is in the recipe chapter. The next pillar is magnify your micronutrients. And I write about the different micro or macronutrients that we need. And another pillar is prioritize your healthy fats, because I want people to be eating fats from Avocado from olive oil um, and you know healthy fats from things like the omega 3 fats like fatty, fatty fish like salmon or um, the plant based options like omega um, like hemp seeds or flax seeds.
1: I find that. A big struggle for people, mainly in the West. I, I I'm generalizing right now, but I, I'm that's what I think. <laughs> I think but you're right. I think you're right. We've we've come to a place of needing the convenience and uh, you know the immediate uh, reward. That I think that's what keeping us away from following our gut feeling on what it is that we need to consume and how to consume it. Uh, you know, to your to your point, when you're saying someone is rushing to work, we just kind of mindlessly grab our 20 uh, you know ounces of coffee, and pick then we coffee. run there, and then we pick up something fast on the way. Just everything is so um, everything is about now, and you know, just to get to the next point and to the next point.
0: I I agree. I agree we we're a very impatient nation, yeah we're very impatient
1: and i'm I'm always wondering, you know there's a lot of um diets are a big business, right, and mm-hmm. I think They're that huge. we've been yeah. served we've been served with all these fat diets and all these way to do this and ways to do that um and I see people jump on kind of the trends um and for me, I'm always like trying to understand how when do we get to a point where we stop hopping around and starting to really uh, change our lifestyle and our kind of approach to food and the way we do food like even for you when you you know talk to your patients and meet your clients and talk about these changes do you find that there's a lot of resistance in terms of well i don't really have time for that i don't really have time to add the spices or to eat the whole you know fruits because mm-hmm. i it's faster for me to go and buy them in you know and packaged in a, in a bottle. Um, how do you right. how do you approach
0: that? The person has to be motivated to want to make these changes first and foremost. And sometimes people don't feel that they can make the effort to prepare something, but then I have to really break down and unpack the science behind it, like drinking. Um, a fruit juice is not the same as eating a small piece of fruit. And there's, there's science that impacts your metabolism behind that. It disrupts the fiber in the fruit. It's it's a very different product when you uh, make it into a juice or rather you drink a juice from a store. And it has sometimes those added sugars as well. So they have to be motivated to want to make the change because it is part of my role is to find the one thing that they want to change and start with that. Because I find when they have a positive benefit of that, then they want me to give them a laundry list of, I want to do all this stuff to feel better because it's very powerful when someone can notice that they are feeling better from from a change in one habit. And it happens. Um, it happens quite a lot and it becomes a very helpful part of this uh, of how I run the program. But the other part is, I do challenge people in a in a in a clinically productive way. So if you say to me, "Well, that's you know, I can't eat cauliflower because it's it, I don't have time to to steam the cauliflower, cook the cauliflower." Well, I'm going to tell you that you can buy frozen cauliflower as long as there's no added sauce, syrup, or salt, and you can steam it in the microwave and you'll have it in two minutes. So let's let's find easy ways around this. A quick recipe that you can make. If you consume eggs, you can make an egg scramble in a mug, you know using Mm. your microwave at work. You can learn easy ways to eat actual food and you can add in veggies to that. You can add in good nutrients to that to even make it more nutrient dense. And that way you have some solutions that are easy. Also meal prep is a huge part of what I do with with individuals. Learning to prepare for a few few days at a time means that you're not struggling every day to figure out where do I get my kaleidoscope of colors? Where do I get my in more of my fiber, my healthy fats? If you haven't sort of planned out for a few days at a time, you can you can you know take a chia seed pudding from the fridge. You can have salads prepped and then just add your dressing when you're ready to eat. You can you know bake um, you can bake your tofu, your chicken ahead of time and flavor that up and then use it for your salads or, or whatever that you might be eating. So part of it is really preparation, understanding the things that I can help you make easier, um, make it less of a burden and a hurdle because you're actually right. We like the convenience. We want to go to the supermarket. Market and have you know have that processed food that's so much easier because it's mm-hmm. it's already made into a pizza. All I have to do is put it into the oven. It's a frozen dinner. All I have to do is heat it up. It's one step, and I think that it can be a trap for people because they feel it's too much effort. But that's when you know the conversation also goes to well, you here you know you're here to work on your mental well being. Are you sort of willing to do something, even a small step? that can help you toward that you know and so it's a conversation
1: yeah i think the point of preparation um, is extremely important uh, because i think that just like anything else we get so tired mentally to try to keep up with all the things that we know are good for us, right, in terms of wellness and health and diet and all these other things, socializing, like there's so many aspects. I feel like now, although information um, is abundant, it also Mm -hmm. creates a lot of this mental uh, fatigue for all of us. Uh, And I'm even thinking about, yes, it's a lot. And I even think about, you know, the uh, the girls that come back from, or anybody, honestly, that comes back from a long day at the office and they had just like a really shitty day and we just come into the house we open the fridge we have this frozen pizza and it's like okay this is our little you know answer to our prayers at this point just very mindless and that kind of also brings me to this uh to the aspect of emotional eating How does that come
0: into play? Yeah, you know, I think that um, emotional eating is inextricably related to our moods, to our emotions, um, to how we're feeling about the world, our inner world, our outer world. And I think that we also must realize that, you know, if we what we're consuming are more packaged processed foods and fast foods, that the, the ingredients in those foods are really uh, there they engineer to tap into our cravings um so that we want more of it, and they are there to really honestly not only mess with our metabolism but they they drive the research and development has shown that these foods are made hyper palatable, so I think we need to really grasp the fact that once in a while, a fast food, a frozen pizza. That's okay. You know, we we can always eat healthy at the next meal. But if that's all that you're eating, then you are definitely engaging in, in behaviors that are going to be hard uh, for your mind, certainly for your anxiety. The cravings and tapping into that is is related to the emotional eating because, you know, we feel sad, or feel stressed after that busy day. You go home and, oh my God, I can have this pizza. Let me just put it in the oven and eat it. Well, a lot of the ingredients in that may not be healthy. Maybe then driving, then you say the next day, "Well, that pizza was so good, let me get more." You know, and it 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 starts to switch in your mind as to what the healthy alternatives were. But the other thing is that you spoke about convenience. We are very we are very impatient. We want something um, that's ready, and and you know, not something that we be so busy we don't want to waste time. And That's another thing that plays into it. But for emotional eating, you also I also feel like counseling is important, so that we understand what's going on behind the behavior, and then we try to work with the person to help them around that behavior.
1: Because mm, this is a manifestation of something that's happening Correct. on a deeper level, mm-hmm.
0: and it's and it's it's being you're absolutely right. It's being manifested as that emotional eating.
1: I don't want to sound all kind of negative around eating. I mean, all of us, uh, I know I have I have days when I don't make the best choices and I think something that keeps me going we all do. definitely and I think that's something that keeps me going back to reestablishing those better choices for myself is knowing that every day is a new day that I can start over. You know, it's like our body. Yes. Yes, our every set- day is the first day. Exactly. Our, our bodies have such a beautiful way to rejuvenate itself and to heal itself and, you know, do whatever it needs to do once we provide the right, uh, the right tools to it. So um, I think that's even mentally so important to keep in mind, because I think a lot of people, we get stuck in these cycles and just, you know, at some point, we're like, okay, it's too late, or just whatever, it is what it is.
0: Negative cycles, a negative kind of mindset or rhetoric that you hear in your head, and you're so right. You know, it it's that, that downward spiral of, oh, I'll have the pizza. And then it's, oh, heck, you know, I'll get one tomorrow. It's easy. And then it's, oh, this is delicious. Let me just continue. And then it's like, you know what, I'm never going to be able to change this habit. Let me just continue. You're absolutely right. It's a very valid point, And I feel like that's where counseling and support happens and is important so that we, we sort of learn our emotions as we are going through them. And that brings us to, make, it brings those emotions to our awareness and it helps us make more mindful choices um, and becomes so important in your journey towards just overall better eating over time you know, I talk about one of the pillars in my first book, I set up pillars for a nutritional psychiatry. The second book is really focused on anxiety. But one of the pillars we talk about is the 80-20 rule around balance, which is that, you know, we we 80% of the time we try, we do our best. 20% of the time, you know, we, that pizza happens or something else, and it's okay because, like you said, you can make a better choice the next day or the next meal. So that's really important for us to carry forward in this in this messaging because we want people to feel hopeful. You know. Mm-hmm. Also, something
1: that helps me to snap back into reality is I get more information and and education around. It's kind of a scare tactic for me. (laughs) If I start (laughs) drinking too much coffee, I'll Google like what happens if you drink too much coffee (laughs) and you start learning all the negatives that can happen physically and emotionally and mentally. And I'm like, okay, that's it. That's enough for me to be like, I'm going to change course here. So, you know, whatever works. (laughs) Correct. In terms of um, something that became very interesting to me as I got older, it's also learning how I can better support my body as a woman going through different kind of phases in my life. Uh, I think Mm -hmm. for a very long time, a lot of the studies around nutrition, around physical activity um, are based on men. Uh, And whenever Mm -hmm. I now look for anything, honestly, any trend in wellness, I always try to find anything that also measures the benefits or the negatives on um, a woman's um, a body because mm-hmm. we are built mm-hmm. differently genetically and there's the hormonal factor. So mm-hmm. do you you recommend different approach for women versus men or specific uh, methods to think about or foods?
0: So I think that's uh, the way that I like to strategize around this is more and more these plans are highly personalized. So it's personalized more to the person than the gender. But to address your point, I do think that women go through, the research is is limited on using female subjects. And um, while I think that some groups are really trying to improve that and change that, it's going to take a while for that to catch up. But I have found over the course of my practice that it's so much more important to practice personalized medicine um, so a woman going through uh, fertility treatment is very different from her body when she's at perimenopause, um, very different to her body when she is, has gone through menopause and is now experiencing other other aspects of, of aging, hopefully healthy aging. So I think that it can be definitely tweaked around the symptoms of menopause and how could we create the right dietary plan for you to support the condition, the symptoms you're going through. Um, So that can be more specific. But in general, the plan has become really more personalized. Like I had um, a mother and a daughter. I was evaluating the mother. The the teenage daughter came into the visit because she was interested in hearing more about this work. And it turned out they had an opposite reaction to the same healthy food. So even people who are biologically related may not respond the same way. And I think what that's taught me is fully respect the fact that we don't have enough studies in women and the research, but also that it does need to be individualized to the person.
1: I was talking to a friend the other night and she was sharing her experience getting off the pill um, and she went and um, worked with um, integrative medicine doctor that helped her with providing support, right? Because when you go off the pill, there's so many different, again, for every person it's different, but there's a lot of different side effects. There's a lot of different things that are happening in your body. And she said that it changed the way she views medicine in general, because it helped her so much, it created uh, such support system for her to go through it. Uh, compared to her friends, who are very scared to get off the pill because they're just they know they're gonna get hit with all these symptoms. Right. And I agree with you. I think that we need to we need to speak more on the whole personalized approach to things, uh, because I. Now, I think there's so many, again, wonderful experts out there, but I feel like we're all kind of giving information and we all try things and um, it's just, it's very general and very, a lot of the case is not very beneficial for anybody. Um, so we're just, you know, getting the vitamins, buying the pills, getting all these things, but it's mm-hmm. not really necessarily moving the needle for us as individuals. Um, and for me, I'm interested to hear, speaking on the medication and the vitamins, how does that, how does that fit into um, this protocol of eating for your, uh, for your mind?
0: I actually want to respond to what you said, Valeria, because I think it's really interesting. I think there's a lot of health information out there in the world these days. Both by vetted uh, well trained experts who are qualified to do so and also by people who are not, but I think the it's important that people are in the health conversation because at least they at the very least raising awareness. You know, in in my book, This Is Your Brain on Food, I outline the science between different mental health conditions so that people understood whether you have depression, anxiety, OCD, schizophrenia, there's a way that you can also use food as a tool. And there are very specific um, concepts behind it. And the research is there to say, well, let's eat these foods and let's cut back on those. With What I did with the with This Is Your Brain on Food is I made it like the I I thought about it as the the basic guide for everyone to be able to use. But with Calm Your Mind uh, with Food, it's really honing in on anxiety. It's unpacking the science, then walking people through the way to shop for an anti-anxiety diet, how to help yourself, how do you think about navigating the supermarket, then a protocol of this is how you can break it down on a day to day basis and make it easy for yourself and then the recipes to go along with that. So it's actually highly specific to anxiety and highly actionable. Because to your point, we often get just tons of information. I hear this from my patients all the time, an overload of information, but what do I do? And that's why it's written in that way. So you can always go you can start at the protocol and you can go back and read the science. Or if you more, of, more of a nerd like me, you'll want to know what the science is, so that you know what the decision is that you're making. So it's it's intended to help people in that in that way, and and hopefully it will be a guide that they can use in that way too.
1: Hmm. I mean, I think it's wonderful to bring a protocol. I mean, especially for something like anxiety, a lot of us experience it, and this is such a wonderful starting point for education and for taking the first steps i think something with anxiety like i mentioned before it's mm-hmm. just we mm-hmm. we st- at some point we even start stop feeling it right so we don't understand yes, how to we even go about it
0: yeah. yeah we become desensitized and that that also speaks to the fact that it's uh it's so rife it's so common but that doesn't mean we should be minimizing it, right? Because it actually has impacts on our metabolism, our body and our sleep, on our overall health. So I think that we shouldn't become just uh, almost numb to, to these effects because they're just occurring all around us. We should always be kind of mindful about when we need help or be able to reach out to others if we're noticing something in a friend, a family member, even a colleague at work and to say, you know, hey, is there, is there something, you know, that you might need? And there's always a way to have that conversation and they're not easy, but I think it's an important point.
1: Is there such a thing as good anxiety?
0: <laughs> yes, thank you for asking. There really is. I don't, and, and this is another important, factor that, you know, I talk about in my book, I don't want people to think of anxiety as the enemy, because anxiety can be harvest in a way to actually help you. One of the ways to do that is how you eat, because then you can use that positive momentum in a way that helps you. You know, if you're studying for an exam, and you know that you have the test of the exam the next day, and you, you know, can stay up till 10 o'clock and finish all of your work, that's anxiety that is helping you actually be effective and function towards a good and positive goal. When we start to be concerned about anxiety is when you are so anxious, so worried that you can't function, you can't go to work, you can't even get onto that Zoom meeting. Um, or as in, in one of my clients was happening happened to her during COVID, she was suffering with such extreme anxiety that she was having a, a glass, started off with half a glass of wine in order to get onto her Zoom meetings in the afternoon, because her anxiety would start in the morning and she would kind of manage it up until a certain point. And when I evaluated her, I said, well, is it typical that you, you know, if you were in the office, would you be drinking wine? And she said, no, I drink it so I can get onto the next meeting. And over time, between 12 and six, she was drinking two glasses of wine and working and being on the zoom meetings and she was doing that because she had developed such severe anxiety those are the types of examples where we want to bring it to awareness and then say well what how can we walk ourselves back from this um you know how can we help you with this so that we are not driving and worsening your your already existing anxiety and taking
1: it back to uh, supplements and medication where do they fit into all of this
0: my um belief is always that there's a place for medications and medications have helped and saved the lives of many of my patients, but not all of them. Uh, Many of them have also really benefited from a more holistic and integrated approach using nutrition and lifestyle. I do feel there's a place for medications if someone needs it. I think there's a very important place for counseling and psychotherapies. And I do think there's a place for supplementation. We don't eat perfect diets, we know that we don't have the best food system, even though we try our best to eat organic, eat healthy, make the best choices, or if you have access, be able to eat organic. So it's, it's super important to be able to understand that supplements do fill a certain nutritional gap. And um, it might be that, you know, if you live in the far northeast, you may be deficient in vitamin D, so it would be important to have your doctor check that. Um, and so there's a place for supplements um, speak to your doctor, you know, if you have symptoms. I'm also a test-don't-guess kind of person, so don't just suddenly start taking a vitamin. Um, make sure that you are getting the test, making sure that your doctor knows um, that you're taking it, and then finding the right supplement that works for you.
1: And how does this, because um, I'm a mother of three kids, and that's something that I battle with all the time when it comes to nutrition, making sure that they um, are eating well. I even started getting my mom, I started freaking out my mom with information of like, you have to buy organic meat because you don't know, you know, now they're getting into their preteen years. You don't know the hormones they're putting in. So again, Mm -hmm. this is all comes from a place of um, anxiety, right? I'm trying to protect them, trying to get them to be healthy. Um, How do we approach this with young children without actually creating... Other issues for them around
0: food? Yeah, I think that's a great question. Um, because I, I feel like one way to do it is to have children be part of the food conversation when they're old enough. So whether it's going to the supermarket or the farmer's market or having a small vegetable garden or herb garden where they sort of start to understand the origin of actual whole food and they maybe they, they play a game and they choose different colors in the supermarket if that's a part of the experience. But that makes them more in contact with food and rather than choosing a charm in a box of cereal, that is how the marketing wants them to act. You know, they can choose different color berries, they can choose different color vegetables, they can make a game of it. But then also involving them in the kitchen. You know, if you're a person who cooks or someone in the family cooks, Having them be part of that experience, maybe they can just wash the berries, maybe they can do a simple task that's safe for them. So I think that that's important. Another thing that I feel is important is the environment. If you keep lots of processed snacks on the the kitchen table and boxes and and, uh, uh, jars of candy and cookies, then that's what they're going to reach out for when they have a snack. But if you have clementines and, you know, over time have helped them learn to eat extra dark chocolate, um, keep berries, hummus and celery sticks and things like that, or nut butters, then when they're hungry, those are the snacks that they eat. I had a very interesting experience when I was in London recently, I I um, connected with some family and uh, the, the two The parents of of the two little boys had decided that, except for birthday parties or some events at school, that at home they were going to eat whole foods. And they just were, you know, they were not going to eat processed snacks. Uh, The food is cooked at home. Um, They are part of that conversation. And when one of the things the family was celebrating was someone's birthday. So there was birthday cake and cookies and, you know, typical kind of birthday uh, items. And these, the two little ones, two little boys were running around and playing and doing all sorts of things. And they came to their mama. they asked for their yogurt and they asked her for their hummus and their carrot sticks and celery sticks. She packs food for them because she knows they like certain snacks. And I thought, how interesting. Here they are faced by, you know, bowl of candy, uh, birthday cake. They weren't really that interested. They might have tasted a piece, but that wasn't. Where, where they, what they wanted when they were hungry. And that really taught me something about how, you know, when you see it in action and you see that you can, you can make a difference, that's very powerful information. So I feel like if they're part of the conversation, if the healthy choices are, make, are made, now I know as well, it's not that they can't have a, a bag of crisps or chips or snacks. It's that the mum doesn't focus on buying that. So if she takes them to the supermarket and they say, "Oh, I want this and that," she'll she'll let them have say one thing, but they don't. They can't have ten of the same, you know, whatever it is. And that way, they're still tasting it. They enjoy it. They may like it. They may not. But that's not the focus of the food. And I think that works against creating some kind of a worry of, oh, this is, they're going to develop an eating disorder or something because mm-hmm. they have the choice. You're not saying you can never have it. You're saying, yeah, but we'll also get apples and we'll get some berries and we're going to get the broccoli. And yeah, if you want that bag, we'll get that too. But that's not, so if you think about the grocery cart, is not filled with the, the the junk foods and the processed foods is filled with the healthy foods and less of that. and I think you create that balance for them, and make sure that the environment. It's not perfect; none of us are perfect. You know, it's it's how we can try to influence their minds and their bodies. I love
1: the idea of really focusing on the good and surrounding them, making the environment with the fruits and vegetables and all these things, like focusing more of the energy on that rather than on trying to get them to not eat the sweets or not, you know, the channeled energy towards that, I feel like creates a bad relationship between you and the child, a bad relationship between the child and the food. Um, And I even, I stopped buying a lot of different things in in our household. And I do find that my kids just, because it's out of their sight, it's also out of their mind. Mm -hmm. It's not something they crave or they run to. Um, So I love that lesson. I also think it's easier for parents mentally uh, rather than constantly have this mental struggle like I have with my right. mother when it comes to buying the right. meat, <laughs> but rather right, right, than right, right, focusing right. on really bringing the good stuff in. Um, right. And what are your, some of your favorite anti-anxiety
0: foods or recipes? So, you know, uh, the last chapter of the book is, is, is actually designed for the recipes. Um, some of my favorite foods actually are some calming teas. I think it's very overlooked that people can, can actually have a tea that can calm your mind. So green tea, passion flower, lavender, some of my favorites, and hydration, keeping well hydrated. I think it's a very ignored step in anxiety because if you're dehydrated, you can present with severe anxiety and be be, and and feel very panicked. Um, But I love uh, leafy greens. And I created uh, in this book, I mentioned the kaleidoscope salad based on the fact that there's a rather than the rainbow, which is a certain number of colors, you know, the kaleidoscope, Each vegetable and fruit has so much to offer you, so many nutrients, phytonutrients, fiber, um, and then you go to the micronutrients that they contain. So I want people to think about their salads and their vegetables as just a kaleidoscope of colors that can bring them a nutrient-dense meal. Um, So I love people to think about that. And then I love things like fermented foods because I know that they've beat inflammation and research has shown that. So I want people to, to start to incorporate a fermented food and another one is start to work and use spices because continuously adding little bits to your food can be helpful over time as well. So that's just a few of the foods. Obviously I go through many more in the book, but it's a way to get started.
1: Yeah, the book is packed with a lot of great information. Regarding the spices, what would be your like intro spices for people that are
0: not as familiar? You know, I, I guess it would depend on the type of flavors of foods that you like. So if you come, say, from um, a Mexican background, well, Mexican oregano is actually pretty powerful. It has luteolin, and has some great antioxidants that can actually fend off brain fox. Um, maybe you are more, have more Italian in your background, you know, oregano, parsley, thyme, garlic, um, all of these have, uh, have really good benefits to them. So I, I, I almost like to, to personalize it to what a person yeah, likes to the, eat because mm-hmm. then then they're more likely to go get it but if they want to be creative and excited and try something different then i can always introduce them to south asian spices of which there are many and say well would you like to try you know a little bit of turmeric with black pepper in your in your soup as a way to get started and then maybe advance to a recipe later on i find that spices can be make the food so flavorful so by tapping into something that they like to eat then i reverse engineer well I think we should focus on these spices for you because you would like the flavor if you added them to whatever, your roasted vegetables, your baked chicken, or whatever it is that you're making.
1: That's amazing. It makes me very hungry. Uh, Dr. <laughs> Uma, Calm Your Mind with Food. Highly recommend for everyone to check this book out. Um, and you also wrote another book, your first book, which was a bestseller. Yes. This is your brain on food. Thank you so much. And uh, Dr. Uma, where can we find more of your work and learn more about your work?
0: Yes, please check out my website, umanaidumd.com, where you'll have a link to buy the new book, you'll have a link to buy my course as well as the first book and uh, find all information about me, including my social media, which is at D-R-U-M-A-N-A-I-D-O-O. And also sign up for my newsletter because you get tons of information from me every week about what I talk about as one ingredient per week. Um, and you can sign up on my website. So I, I, uh, I hope you enjoy the book.
1: Wonderful. Thank you so much.
0: Thank you. It was a pleasure to talk to you.
1: Thank you so much for watching this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. Don't miss my newest episode right here. And if you're listening to the podcast on Apple or Spotify, please go and leave a review with your biggest takeaway. I love reading your thoughts. And if you have any suggestions for guests or topics, you can leave them in the comment section. And always, always remember, you are not alone.